0: <clears throat> we'll hear argument next, number 021196, the Securities and Exchange Commission versus Charles E. Edwards.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Over 10,000 persons in 38 States invested $300 million in respondents' payphone business on the expectation that their investments would yield a 14 percent return due to respondents' experience, efficiency, and management expertise. The decision below that these transactions were not investment contracts, merely because they specified a fixed return to the investor rather than an unspecified portion of the enterprise's profits, cannot be squared with the language, history, and purpose of the Securities Acts, 70 years of consistent SEC interpretation and enforcement, and this Court's jurisprudence. The Congressional definition of security, as this Court has repeatedly said, is broad and flexible and intended to be all-inclusive to cover the countless and variable schemes devised by those who would seek money from others on the promise of a return. Congress intended, in the words of this Court, to encompass virtually any instrument that might be sold as an investment, And the term investment contract this Court has held was intended to be a broad catch-all, therefore substance, not form or title governs. These terms, investment contract, uh, are to be construed broadly to embrace, again in the words of this Court, all forms of investment schemes that bear a resemblance to what is commonly understood to be a security. And this Court has said because promoters are so creative, these terms must be flexible and inclusive. A catch-all must catch-all. It is irrational to conclude that Congress would have defined security. Mr. Solicitor, General, may I jump ahead for a second?
2: Is, the, is your adversary correct in saying that as far as decided cases are concerned, not the position of the SEC, but there is no judicial decision holding that a an instrument that provides a fixed return is an
1: investment contract. Well, Justice Stevens, I can answer this by saying that the seminal case Howey referred to and cited blue-sky cases and Federal Court of Appeals decisions which did contain those type of instruments, fixed return instruments. This specific question has not previously been decided by this Court, but the Court has never decided, and the cases that the Court Referred to in Howey, did not ever say that that a fixed return instrument was excluded from the term Uh, investment contract. How
0: about the United Housing case?
1: Well, again, um, with respect to that case, the uh, the the court has decided consistently that what is critical is the the, that the investor expects a return.
0: The court has never said. The United Housing case did refer suggest that the requirement that the income come from profits did it well
1: the, the references to the to the uh, this from this our perspective um, mr chief justice is that the return um, must be examined from the standpoint of the investor the invest and the court i don't think the court intended to restrict in that case and the language is not uh, reasonably susceptible in my judgment uh to the to the understanding that that was intended to exclude Um, investments or instruments that provided a fixed return. What the Court has repeatedly referred to is that from the standpoint of the investor, what the investor is expecting to do is to put his or her money to work for him or her. That is to say, put that money into an enterprise of some sort so the investor can sit back and watch the returns come in. The, The investor doesn't care. Uh, whether that's a fixed return or a speculative return. In fact, the definition in both the 33 and the 34 Act includes types of investments, such as common stock, that have speculative returns built into their definition, so to speak. Fixed returns, instruments such as bonds, preferred stock, uh, indentures, and that sort of thing. Then the term, as this Court has repeatedly said, Those terms are relatively fixed and understood. But because Congress wanted to embrace, because this is a remedial statute intended to protect the investing public and the integrity of the marketplace so that people will feel secure in investing their resources in other instruments that promoters are offering,
3: General Olson, you you put the stress on investment, and that seems right, because the statute refers to investment contracts. But there are surely debt instruments that would not be investment contracts. So what is the dividing line between something that constitutes a plain old debt that is not an investment contract and not a security, and one that is? I mean, how do we identify something as an investment contract rather than an ordinary debt?
1: Well, I think the answer, Justice Ginsburg, is that many of those instruments that are ordinary debt instruments um, may be investment contracts as well. The Court has repeatedly said is that these terms are overlapping
3: what makes it? What makes something an investment contract?
1: Well, what this court has said is that when a person puts their money into a, a common enterprise with the expectation, expectation of a return, that is, through the res, through as a result of the efforts of others, that is an investment contract. Now, many notes um, or many types of offerings might be um, based upon a fixed return and might appear in the, um, to look like notes or fixed return types of investments and still be investment contracts. But the depending on the investment skills of, of others is very unhelpful to me.
4: I, I, I would think most creditors who extend credit uh, rely on the investment skill or the financial responsibility of, of, of the lender as to how they're going to get their money back. So I, I, I I find that test hard to work with as a
1: limitation. I know it comes from Howie. But, uh, it does. It does come from Howie. and I think that the best way to look at that, Justice Kennedy, is to look at that the investor, as opposed to using his own resources, his own efforts, his own energy, his own creativity, is counting on other people to make the the Well, but my point goes, is, all creditors do that, uh, just on straight loans. Well, so, so well, that, that, that doesn't advance us very well, far. Well, well, that's right. That's that's correct, and there are some overlap. But this Court has said and it repeated it uh, and analyzed it from that context in the Reeves case uh, that there are some commercial context and some in, um, a consumer context in which the securities acts were never intended to cover. Well, the Reeves
4: case had language that doesn't help you because it seems to exclude a fixed
1: return, but, uh, well, so I, I, I don't — well, how great the Reeves case is. What the Reeves case says, and I think Your Honor is referring to footnote four in that case, in which the Court, in construing what was meant by the, uh, the term note, looked at the, um, the definition of in, in the Foreman case, which in, included the earlier Howey case, as to define an investment contract, but in that footnote, the Court very carefully went on to say the definition that we're examining here with respect to investment contract is irrelevant with respect to notes. That is um, uh, dicta piled upon dicta in a sense because the Court, re- I, we respectfully submit, mischaracterized Foreman the case that the, where the Court was concentrating on the difference between someone investing their resources to get something to use well, in that if case. You, if you
0: are, don't like dicta, that's against you. A lot of the things you've been quoting are dicta that weren't really necessary to deciding the case. Well, what we,
1: Mr. Chief Justice, I don't think that what we're quoting um, with respect to what we're relying on is dicta. What the the court is de- has defined the term investment contract. First of all, in the Joyner case, and then in the Howey case, in very broad terms.
0: Well, well, so, so, Supposing I, I loan someone $10,000. They've just hung out their shingle to practice law, and I'm, uh, I want, obviously, the money back. But whether I get the money back or not is very much going to depend on his skill. Is that an investment contract? That's,
1: that is, that is probably not an investment contract because it is a personal transaction between individuals. It, what this could, the factors that this court used in the... Well, Reeves but all
0: these are transactions between individuals. That doesn't distinguish anything. Well, what the, one of the, one of the things that
1: the court said in Reeves is that to the extent that there are any ambiguities at the edge and those particular factors were considered in Reeves, it, the, the, the scheme of distribution, the nature of the relationships between the individuals. Is this the, — the, is someone uh, seeking to acquire money to use as capital in the, in the operation of an enterprise?
0: Uh, is, are, are you saying that a one-on-one transaction — can never be an investment contract?
1: No, we're not saying that. In fact, the Court held to the contrary in the Wharf Holdings case, that there may be, a, and in another case in this Court's jurisprudence, that simply because of one individual or one entity dealing with another entity doesn't exclude um, the the operation of the term investment. But contract. the
4: problem is, as, as you well know, Justice Ginsburg begins it, and it's Chief Justice is asking the same question. If we're going to write this opinion, uh, it seems to me we have to have some limiting principles, some limiting language. Now, we could just talk about these facts, and it would be a case good for this ride only. But uh, we're wondering about whether or not these facts yield uh, a certain insights as, as to what might be definitional principles for an investment contract. Well,
1: with respect to the cases at the margin, the Court articulated The same kind of analysis that the Securities and Exchange Commission does, where there are cases at the margin, the court will consider the motivation of the person raising the money, the person investing in the in the in the operation, the nature and type of promotion that's taking place, um, and and the motivations of the seller and things of that nature. But what, what the question presented here is considerably more narrow. Um, The question presented here is, is is it disqualifying as an investment contract simply because the return is fixed or specified? Now, if the Court were to adopt that definition, imagine the size of the superhighway loophole that would be created in the Securities Act. Instead of promising the sky, or or a speculative return, the investors that develop these types of schemes will simply say 50 percent or 25 percent. But uh, you don't — well, maybe you do. We just say
4: uh, an investment contract can include a fixed return and then remand it to the Eleventh Circuit for
1: it to figure out the puzzle? Uh, Well, that's not the, the only reason that the Eleventh Circuit decided that this case couldn't go forward, they couched it in terms of jurisdiction, but it's really failure to state a claim, was that this instrument had a fixed 14 percent return and said investment contracts can't not include that.
5: So your point is that's all we have to decide, whether the fact that it's a fixed return excludes it from the definition of a security. Precisely. But — it would be desirable to have some clearer understanding of what's covered. And if you had to take your best shot at constructing a definition, what would it be?
1: Well, I would adopt and the government would propose that the, the Court do no more than re-articulate what the Court has re- repeatedly stated. Uh, and it stated it as well in Howie as it could possibly state it. A transaction — in which a person invests money in an enterprise with the ex- expectation of a return, gain, profit. Now, in the Foreman case that we, we submit was not characterized correctly in the Reeves footnote, the Court used all of those terms, the expectation of a
6: profit, the expectation of a return. Uh, in Howey itself, the Court we, — We've g- gone, gone around that. I mean, the problem is the ordinary loan. The ordinary loan from one individual to another, I loan you $10,000 and you will pay it back over so many years and give me so much interest a year, meets that qualification, meets that description, and you acknowledge that that is not an investment contract. The,
1: what the Court has said is that in, in those kind of cases where it does not look as typical as a typical investment scheme. What makes
6: it look like a typical investment scheme? I mean, that's what we're What makes, about. It, look what like makes typ- it look like a typical investment scheme? Well, the characteristics investment? You are say it is not the mere fact that it's not a fixed return. That isn't it. What is it,
1: then? Well, the, the things that make it look like an investment contract in this context is that the individual is putting himself his money into an enterprise that is being, in this case, widely promoted. As I said, over 10,000 investors put their money into this enterprise, hoping to get some return as a result of the efficiency or effectiveness. So
5: at least where it's marketed to the public, you would say it's covered. At least that, even though you don't know backing up where to cut it off.
1: Well, the, the precise lines here, Justice O'Connor, may be difficult in a particular one-on-one investment case. The court acknowledged that in the Reeves case, said that there, there, are, there are situations that look more like consumer transactions, or they may look Mr. more Wilson, look like- isn't the question about the
2: individual transaction really related to the conflict on this horizontal and vertical distinction that Judge Lay relied on in his concurring opinion? And as I understand it, that's not before us as to the validity of his uh, vote in the case. That's, that's correct, Justice. But I don't understand either party to have addressed the, this, this alleged conflict over
1: horizontal versus no. vertical. That was not the, what, yes, that's correct. The, Judge Lay d- discussed that in his concurring opinion, but the Court did not rely upon that. The parties have not briefed that, and that question is not before So it's
2: entirely possible that you could win here and the case would be remanded for the Court of Appeals to decide whether or not Judge Lay was
1: right. I guess that's, I guess that's, that's possible. Um, well, th- your your we, opening well, argument says
4: the agreements were investment contracts. I
1: mean, yes, we do. That's what you ask Yes, us. we do. And, and, and we, uh, I think that there is this is not a difficult case from that standpoint because all of the indicia that the SEC has been using for years, and what the SEC has articulated this standard in formal adjudications to which this court defers under Chevron. It did two years ago in the Zanford case with respect to the SEC. There is here in this case 70 years of consistent enforcement of this principle by the Securities Exchange So to Commission. be clear about your,
7: what you're saying is there are a lot of criteria that rule out loans, ordinary loans, because after all, they would otherwise come in the words evidence of indebtedness. There are a lot of words in this contract that could pick up ordinary loans but then there are a lot of criteria that rule them out of all those words, not just investment contract. And this case is about one word. What you would like is a decision that says the word profit in howry meant profit in the sense of ordinary return, return being broad enough to encompass fixed or variable returns of various kinds, period. End of the matter. Re, uh, uh, reversed or remanded. That's that's your that's your point. Not get into
1: these other criteria for other things. Precisely, and the court has not done that in the past does not need to do so here. There are situations, like the Reeves case, where the Court said, well, some notes are securities, some notes are not securities. And then goes through what the Court in that case had, was looking at, a Second Circuit decision that said, well, some notes are not securities, some are securities, and then laid out a methodology, which, by the way, is the same methodology that the SEC Understandable, well, widely understood to employ with respect to those cases at the margin. But Justice Breyer, I agree completely. This is a paradigmatic investment contract. It's like the cases involving chinchillas or, or rabbits, one of these cases involving rabbits. It, there's
0: two of the, two of the... Except it's different in that, uh, here there's a fixed return and those there was not. That's not correct,
1: um, respectfully, Mr. Chief Justice. The two of the two of the cases cited in Howey, People versus White, and Stevens versus Liberty Packing, were. Well, so I thought you meant cases from this court. No, I'm talking about cases that this court accepted um, when it decided the Howey case, but this court has never. No, that, c-
6: that's a pretty, you know, yeah. that's a pretty tentative. Uh, uh, attribution to, to, to this court that, uh, that, that it was paying that close attention, that it understood in all of those cases whether it was a fixed return or not.
1: Well, it certainly wasn't ruling it out, Justice Scalia. What this court, uh, what the fa- this court specifically said in Howey, because it had nothing to go on. Congress, first of all, decided to make the definition as wide as possible to use again this court's language to cover everything that might commonly be understood to be a security, and because promoters are so ingenious to cover all types of investments that might carry some of those characteristics. So the Court said we are going to look at the cases that involve the Blue Sky statutes that uh, that had been in existence and had been interpreted prior to the adoption of the 33 Act. There is not one of those statutes that limited investment contract to a variable return and excluded fixed return. It was not one of those cases under the blue sky statutes that excluded fixed return investment contracts from the definition of investment
0: contracts. Well, were were they all fixed return c- cases? Then you say there was not one of them that excluded fixed returns.
1: They were not. They were not. Some of them were variable uh, returns, Mr. Chief Justice. But some of them were fixed return. The two cases I cited. The one was People versus White, where if the court looks at that case, the court will find that the 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 the, the language of it is the party of the first part will pay $5,000 and the party of the second part, after five years, will pay $7,500 back. That was a fixed return investment. But not only did the Court in Howey cite those two um, um, uh, blue sky cases that involved fixed returns, but the Court cited then four, and we mentioned these, I'll not go through the names again here, we mentioned them in our briefs, four Court of Appeals decisions that had involved no pooling of interest um, and Uh, There there have been two SEC formal adjudications, which, again, as I said, this Court gives deference to. And uh, the first time the SEC sought to enforce um, uh, an investment contract in this kind of context is SEC versus Universal Services, which goes back to 1936, very seldom. Does this Court have that kind of 70-year history of consistent enforcement by the agency vested with responsibility? And again, these have matured themselves into not only court decisions, but for, in addition, formal adjudications. The securities laws have prophylactic purposes. They are designed to protect people that put their money in the hands of other people who are running business Businesses and 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 from whom they expect to make a return. I invite the court's attention to Exhibit 17 uh, and and particularly uh, pages 116 through 119 of the joint appendix. Um, and this is the type of now the the um, respon the um, respondent will say, well, this was not our document. This was one of our distributor's documents, but. Uh, It's alleged in the the complaint, and there is evidence to support, that this uh, this was out there available for investors to see. There are millions to be made from uh, owning payphones. Watch the profits add up. And then on page 119, this document goes on to say, for the payphone owner, the need to do individual things to make money is taken care of through these management contracts because the payphone owner can benefit from the experience, operating efficiencies, and management expertise provided by ETS payphones.
0: What sort of management expertise is required to manage payphones?
1: Well, there are many things. At least, that, A, there was a promise that it was done. And secondly, Mr. Chief Justice, where that payphone is put, how it is managed, the appearance of the payphone, is it, is it mechanically functioning properly? This was the promise that was held out. Give your money to us. We have thousands and thousands of these payphones. This isn't
0: exactly Warren Buffett, though,
1: (laughs) running around placing payphones. Well, um, that's correct, Mr. Chief Justice, and maybe that's the point, um, that that the thousands of investors uh, who invested in this type of scheme are the same type of thousands of investors that invest in other types of schemes. What the Securities Exchange Acts require is that for people who are marketing opportunities to invest widely to the public, and I use the word widely carefully because it doesn't have to be that widely, but it was here, uh, and to expect people to provide their money and then to provide a return to put their money to work. That's what the securities laws are all about, to provide that remedial prophylactic purpose of requiring registration so honest um Transactions will take place in the marketplace. If the investor could do to, to, to comply with the 11th Circuit and say, well, I'm not going to say 14 percent anymore. I'm going to say you're going to double your money every five years, or it's going to be a good return. It's going to be pie in the sky. You're going to go home and retire that would all of a sudden make it not an investment contract, and the
6: very people. But you're, you're saying that it 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 somehow remain. Does it remain or not remain an investment contract? Is it, if all that you alter is that it was not offered to the public, it's one individual who loans money to this company, uh, and the business of this company is with with payphones. Okay, and, and uh, the deal with him is you will get fourteen percent a year back on your, if it's, on
1: if your loan. Mr. Justice Scalia, if it's the same kind of transaction where uh, uh, I'm going to buy this payphone, lease it back to me, I'm going to have a management contract, and you're going to make a lot of money, the fact that it's one person, this Court's jurisprudence says, does not make it not that does not make it not an investment. Contract. What makes it
6: different just from a straight loan? What makes it different? The because buying, it
1: is a buying it, phone first. It is what? a it is a package in which, it, in, the, in the first place, as I think Justice Breyer's question suggests, that that might be a note and that might be a security under certain circumstances. But is it? A, it is the type of scheme transaction. Uh, in which people <laughs> invest their money on, for those types of purposes, and and then where the where there are difficulties at the margin, this court and the SEC have uh, provided uh, a formula by which these various different factors can be examined, as in the Reeves case. What I was about to say is that, to the extent that you change the requirement and and allow it to be speculative, the more speculative you can be, the less likely you're required to comply with the securities laws? That seems like tilting the securities laws completely on their head. The people that are the least — that are the most risk-averse are looking for guarantees of returns and fixed returns. The people that depend — that aren't the Warren Buffets, that depend upon the integrity of the system are the ones that are going to be most vulnerable if the Eleventh Circuit decision is upheld mr chief justice i'd like to reserve the balance of my time
0: please very well general olson mr wolensky we'll
8: hear from you mr chief justice and may it please the court we start with the language of the statute and that tells us two things first of all commercial leases is not a term included in the statute and second of all The term investment contract is undefined. But over a course of 10 decisions during the past 60 years, this court has identified the essential attributes of investment contracts. It has identified those, defined those, and explained those. One of the essential attributes of investment contracts is a return of profits. The Court's restrictive definition of profits in the, in, the, uh, in the Foreman case and then reiterated in the Reeves case captures very effectively the investment risk and investment reward characteristics. Is it your
2: position that uh, no debt security could ever be an investment contract?
8: As long as it was a fixed return, that is correct.
2: Why it distinguish between a fixed return and another kind of
8: debt security? Well, under the SEC's explanation and its briefs, it refers to a lot of things as fixed returns, which are really just sham, boastful promises uh, by promoters. And I believe that's what takes this uh situation completely out of what the SEC is proposing. Both Parties here agree that the correct test the Court should apply is the Howey test. There, we don't disagree that on that. you that
2: test would never cover a debt
8: security. That's my question. That is correct. That test would never cover a debt security because this Court has defined profits for Howey test purposes to mean an expectation What would be the underlying
2: reason for excluding debt securities and limiting the coverage of the Act to equity
8: securities? Investment risk, Your Honor. That is the key. There was an investment risk here. Well, there really wasn't, because what you have is a commercial lease arrangement, a telephone acts as the collateral, so to speak, to use this Court's words from the Reeves case, but you have a commercial lease arrangement like commercial lease arrangement done well but this the is a
2: leasing arrangement that's really a financing arrangement. the use of leasing for financing purposes really developed after the act was passed it did this is really a financing transaction
8: uh, it can be characterized
2: that way your honor that 's correct well certainly the person 's return it didn 't depend on what happened in his own phone booth, the one he had not owned it, his, his risk was what the overall enterprise would produce as I understand
8: that 's absolutely correct, your honor, and that is a credit risk, not an investment. Risk. That's preferred and stock. Preferred stock is an in, has both investment risk because it d- can have fluctuating value. Some do. So can debt. Debt can if there's a market for the debt. That's there correct. is. But the investor. Well, that's correct. Uh, but the characterization of the return to the investor in debt is generally viewed as. Uh, as the return, the interest rate, and as far as the market, most so preferred stock. Uh, preferred stock, but it's a capital appreciation issue, and that's not an issue. So here. can
6: debt appreciate?
8: Well, that's right, but that's capital appreciation, and we don't have capital appreciation in this case. What about
6: bonds? The, uh, the definition also
8: includes bonds. The term security means any note, stock, bond. That's correct, and a bond is a fixed return instrument. It is indeed. It's a specifically designated type of security by Congress. It is not — it does not fall under the investment contract rubric. It may vary in its value and have capital appreciation. Yes, but, but when some of the things that are
6: specifically listed are fixed return items, it seems hard to credit your contention that somehow the reason uh investment contracts uh uh cannot cover this particular uh arrangement is because this arrangement uh has a fixed return but but congress intended the term security to cover some things that have fixed returns why not investment contracts
8: without question it did but congress in and this court has stated very clearly, certainly in the Reeves case. And no,
9: but the Reeves case was dictum. And the question here is, are we going to turn that dictum into a holding? And before we get to a holding, I think you've got to answer Justice Scalia's question. When we have specific examples of, 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 of fixed returns, why should the general proposition investment contract some, somehow be
8: held not to include as a generality uh, a fixed return contracts. Our position is that an investment contract is an equity type security, and we think that is founded on all of the history. Uh, and con- when Congress used the term investment contract,
1: in L- 19- let
9: me—I I don't want to be, be short sure with you, but I don't think you're getting at what he and I want. Uh, we, we have examples in which the fixed return spe- securities are specifically listed. Why, let's be specific, why would Congress have wanted to exclude this kind of a scheme? Because it's being th- marketed as a classic investment scheme. Why would it have wanted to exclude this?
8: Because this is a, this is a commercial lease. Well, it's it- not a,
9: a normal commercial lease. It's a, it's a commercial lease of an essentially trivial piece of property which is replicated thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times uh it is marketed on on the theory that you're going to get an extraordinarily generous rate of interest these are these are not classic uh, uh sale and leaseback uh, uh contracts
8: Well, I I disagree with your honor. I believe it is a legitimate lease. There's never been a question that it's not an enforceable lease. There's never been a question that the telephone didn't have the value ascribed to it. It was fairly valued. But it's being marketed not to people who
9: want to go into the lease business, but people who want to invest their money and sit back
8: at home and get a return. That may be true, but it cannot be denied that in fact there was a lease agreement Every witness who testified or provided a declaration in connection with the case acknowledged. Let's assume it, was a it lease. is not
9: denied. Why would Congress have wanted to exclude this kind of fixed return transaction uh, when it is classically being marketed as an investment?
8: There were leases that were being used for commercial purposes in 1933. Leased financing was being used on very Uh, Significant items then in the railroad area and other areas, but leases are not new, novel, or unusual. Investment contract was designed as this court said. No, but it's a
5: public policy issue. uh, I have the same question Justice Souter has, from the standpoint of public policy. Why in the world would Congress want to exclude a broadly marketed scheme like this? Uh, from the definition of investment contract. Why would it? It's marketed like other schemes that might have a variable return. They put all these little uh, phone booths together, and it required the uh, management of others to know how to place them and service them and make <coughs> it work. It's not something that the a person acquiring the lease is going to do individually, I mean, why isn't — why would Congress have wanted to exclude this?
8: JUSTICE O'Connor, the, the only answer I can give is because it does not have investment risk. It's, it is excluded from the term investment contract because it doesn't have investment risk all of the pre-33 act well, i cases. suppose
5: it does from the standpoint of the management required to make this scheme work
8: well that's a he was written.
5: investing
6: in in payphones uh, in the era of the uh uh <laughs> the satellite uh, it w- was taking an investment risk i would think
8: well when the when the buggy company- whip
6: just before the horse the the just 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 before the automobile it must mean something special by investment
7: risk. You must not mean what we'd ordinarily mean, because I think your investors don't feel that way. So what do you mean by it? When you say no investment risk, you know, we're all reacting this way because it seems obvious to us. Anybody who invested money in this has now lost all his money, so it must have been pretty risky. So so, uh, you must mean something special by it. If you do, I want you to explain it.
8: Well, the, the money that was lost was lost as a result of a bankruptcy and what occurred in the bankruptcy. But when the bankruptcy was filed, uh, these phone owners still own their telephones and they were still entitled to their lease payments. That was dealt with in the bankruptcy and the details of that are not involved in the record here, but in, there's a, a significant difference between investment risk, which this Court characterized in Foreman and recognized from the Valid case as a matter of fluctuating value generally. When you look at Credit Surely risk, you don't think
2: there, a person who buys a bond doesn't take an investment risk?
8: A person who buys a bond takes a credit risk, not an investment risk. There is a difference.
2: And I, I believe there's know, a significant old, difference. You think buying a,
8: a, a whole portfolio of bonds is not an investment? Well, it, it is an investment, but it, it, it is not the type of investment risk that you see in fluctuating value, securities are capital Have or you ever securities. held a
9: bond when interest rates were going up?
8: I, I agree. You would have learned what an investment risk was. Justice Souter, I agree that bonds can fluctuate in value, and that deals with a capital appreciation. Which means issue. that it is more than a mere credit risk. To the extent you were looking to the bond. To return a value and and hold it for purposes of uh, changing value. Anyone who buys
9: a bond with the possible expectation of selling before maturity assumes exactly that. Uh,
8: They are going to face that risk and that, that is in fact an investment risk. But the key here, it seems to me, is the fact that you do have a lease agreement. That is what is involved here. It is a legitimate lease agreement. It is like any other equipment lease agreement, and it is going to be dealt with under state law. There is also a significant issue here with respect to the coverage of other regulatory agencies. We have, in fact, Federal Trade Commission coverage here. There's no question about that. It is involved.
3: Mr. Walensky, you don't challenge, do you? that under State Blue Sky Laws, this distinction between variable and fixed return is not made, that State Blue Sky Laws treat as investment contracts, do not draw the line between fixed and variable returns.
8: The the challenge I make is that before 1933, the State Blue Sky Laws, that were uh, — cases that were incorporated and mentioned in Joyner and in Howey were variable return cases. I disagree with the SEC You agree on the that two there cases. are a
3: body of cases under state blue sky laws that involve — maybe some of them even involve these payphone schemes, but that have fixed and not variable returns.
8: As of today, that is correct. That is what I see in the amici brief, and I have no reason to question that. The way the law has developed uh, under state law, it, it would include uh, fixed returns. That's correct.
3: So why, if this notion of investment contracts comes out of state blue sky laws, and we are told that the one thing in this area, because schemes are invented every day, is that uh, – That the interpretation should be flexible, not static, to meet the countless and variable schemes devised by those who seek the use of money of others.
8: Justice Ginsburg, this Court has has repeated that over and over. I will agree with that. But the Court has talked about new, novel, and unusual schemes. There is nothing new, novel, or unusual about lease agreements, and commercial leases. And what you have to focus on here is what the Court has said. It has given guidance. It has said that unanimously. It may have been a footnote in Reeves, but certainly uh, —
3: But when the issue isn't in the case, you know, what a Court says in a casual footnote, when the case had nothing to do with fixed versus variable returns, I mean — Yes, the court made it used in cautious languages, but we, but in none of the cases that came here was the question, do you draw the line between fixed and variable returns? In the case that, that you featured, whether you call it Foreman or United Housing, there it was a question of investment versus consumption. Did you buy this thing to sit back and Get money from it, or did you buy it so you could live in the house? That was the distinction that was before the court in this case. I don't know any of our cases that in, that drew the line between that where the issue was before the court.
8: Justice Ginsburg, in Foreman, the court had to address the issue of whether there was an investment contract involved, and it stated. What I would call the form and formulation of profits, in connection with doing that analysis on the three types of profits that allegedly or that had been found and allegedly were present in the Second Circuit decision, and it applied that formulation to each one of those. So it was. But it.
3: But the case was not about equity versus debt classification; it was about whether you were attracted. Were they, were attracted to purchasing the shares by a desire to get a financial return? Or were you attracted because you wanted a place to live? That's what, that's the, the, the two questions that, the, that was the dividing line that the court was dealing with there. It wasn't dealing with equity versus debt.
8: That is correct, Justice Ginsburg. And then in Reeves, it was dealing with a distinction between equity and debt, but in,
4: in Foreman there was no distinction between fixed and variable income.
8: It was not. But when you read the uh, Justice Kennedy, when you read what the court said in Foreman, it's talking about an expectation of profits or capital appreciation, and those are two variable forms. They're not. They're not fixed. They necessarily vary with the marketplace. If I can finish answering your question, Justice Ginsburg, with respect to Reeves, there was a distinction, a very specific distinction there, between fixed and uh, and variable. That's what that case was about, investment contract versus note. And the Eighth Circuit had decided that the investment contract case, uh, that the investment contract test of Howey would apply to notes. There were a series of tests, and this Court used the Reeves' opinion to to go through those and decide, and it came up with a family resemblance test that had been used by the Second Circuit. In the footnote in Reeves, uh, it it is very clear that what the Court is doing is distinguishing and explaining why Howey does not apply to notes which are fixed instruments. I think it is not just a passing reference, and it it was unanimously stated by the Court.
3: I thought that the meaning of investment contract was not at issue in Reeves.
8: The meaning of investment contract was not at issue, but distinguishing investment contract was at issue in Reeves and explaining why it was not applicable in that case. The parties briefed the issue, the SEC briefed the issue as Amicus took the same position it, it has taken here, and the court in Reeves said that is not the position we it's accept.
6: Position for a long time, Mr. Mr. Walensky. It's not just. The case law that you have to contend with, it's also, uh, this is, after all, an administrative law case. Uh, The meaning of investment uh, contract, you you must admit, is at least uh, ambiguous. And the SEC has taken the position it's taken here for a very long time. Well, if I can address... Why shouldn't we defer to the SEC's judgment about the matter?
8: If I can address that for just a moment, Justice Scalia... That's why I asked the question, I hope. With... Thank you, sir. With respect to the very long time, if you go back to the case the SEC has pointed to a number of times, the universal service case from 1939 in the Seventh Circuit, uh, when you — and the SEC talks about its position in that case. Its position in that case was stated in its brief in that case. And when you look at its brief in that case, it recognizes that it is not — Dealing with a fixed return as we would talk about it. In fact, in the brief, the SEC says the amount ultimately credited to the contributor's account, the amount itself being dependent upon the degree of success attending the venture. And I'm reading from pages 39 and 40 in footnote 10. With respect to the Abbott Summer case, which is a 19, I believe 62 decision, uh, by the SEC, the SEC admitted in Abbott's summer that it wasn't looking at traditional profits analysis. That was a mortgage loan servicing case, and they said that what was being offered there was not just the repayment on the notes, but also the services, and they found that the reduction of risk in that case was the, basically the profit so they departed from what is a normal profit analysis and that's freely admitted. In the, uh, interpretive release they've issued, the multi-level release, uh, under the 33 Act number 5211, in there the SEC admits that Howey is an equity type test. They specifically say that. So I think that when you look at the history of what this court has done and what the SEC has done, uh, when you get to when you get to Reeves and when you get to Foreman, it is there's no ambiguity left as to what is meant by profits at that point. So I think a position. I the think S- there
3: is. I think that in United Housing itself, they spoke about profit may be derived from income yielded by an investment. Income yielded by investment. That doesn't say income from earnings.
8: That is correct. But in the very same area of the opinion is where the Court says, by profits, in the Howey analysis, we have meant participation in earnings or capital appreciation, citing the earlier cases.
3: They said that in one place. They said financial returns in another place. They said income in another place. Maybe they were so incautious about the precise use of those terms because they were focusing on an investment purpose versus a, a utilitarian purpose.
8: I would agree with that, but the fact that that Reeves concluded what it did about foreman 's requirements would tend to show that that 's really what Foreman required. Uh, the the Court of Appeals, of course, was not free to disregard what was a unanimous statement by this Court. This Court obviously can change its opinion or change its view. But there is no compelling reason to depart from what has been accepted for 25 years. Other courts of well, appeals — Well, why we isn't
3: there when the SEC — let's assume that you're right about that the SEC was never — crystal clear about its position. But now it says, we've looked at these schemes. Payphones is a good one. A lot of elderly people are investing in these schemes because they promise a fixed return, and that sounds secure to them, better than variable out of earnings and profits. So uh, this is exactly what we should be protecting the public against. If the – SEC takes that position clearly now, and you're dealing with a statutory term that's in a line, some of the things are equity, some are debt, and in the middle is this term, investment contract. Why should we tie it to variable versus fixed?
8: Justice Ginsburg, as this Court has said more than once, every fraud is not a securities fraud there are other avenues of protection there are several risk reducing factors involved in these leases the leases themselves are covered by state law and the uniform commercial code there is other regulatory coverage uh, other agencies in fact some of the state agencies that filed uh, amici briefs here have indicated that they believe they have coverage of those. So the fact that the federal securities laws might not cover this doesn't mean that there's not going to be protection of the public. The consequence, and I think it's an important consequence that the Court has to be aware of here if it agrees with the SEC's position, is that every equipment lease... Can be brought under the rubric of Howie,
5: if Why was? I mean, there are
7: all kinds of other criteria. You know, I mean, you have to be putting up money, it has to be, if it is a big marketable scheme marketed to the, to the public like this, yes. But if it isn't, if GM happens to buy some, a railroad car, uh, from one of its suppliers, I would think the answer is no. But there are a lot of other criteria. So why everyone?
8: Well, the, it is not in the record but it is public knowledge and information uh, that is available that some $200 billion of equipment leasing occurs every year. And it, equipment leasing involves everything from telephone systems to computers, uh, office equipment. It is a very, very large industry. If that Applies to this
7: large industry. You have to be passive. You'd have to you'd have to treat it as an investment. I doubt that most of that leasing is really that. But I mean, d- my point is, aren't there dozens of other criteria that you have to satisfy? not just this fixed variable one. And that's a serious question. I'm interested.
8: Well, Justice Breyer, there there essentially are four criteria that that the SEC would say you have to apply. An investment of money. And this Court said in Daniel that investment of money doesn't just mean money. It can mean services. It can mean assets. That's why we say in analyzing this, it doesn't matter whether you bring your phone to the agreement or money to the agreement, but if you put equipment into a lease arrangement, you have an investment. Uh,
7: Invest money may itself refer to the thousands of public people who simply want to give money to an enterprise in contrast to General Motors that rents a railroad car
8: as part of its business. I can contrast that and agree with you that in General Motors, Renting a railroad car is part of its business. It is not going to be probably found so, run afoul of the securities laws. So, example
7: of the bad thing that happens when we agree with the SG?
8: General, broad, small item equipment leases will be covered. By people who are not themselves
7: in business, by people who are not themselves in business or by people who are themselves in business.
8: Well, whether they're in business or not in business, the the securities laws would still cover them, and I don't believe there's an exemption that would be available for the ordinary business.
9: Why, Why isn't your argument equally applicable to notes? We've been through that in Reeves. I mean, you could have argued in Reeves, my God, are you going to cover every note? Uh, you are making the same argument here with investment con- investment contract, aren't you?
8: Well, uh, not necessarily. I think the Court did set forth some very specific criteria in Reeves. The family resemblance test exempts out commercial notes that have credit risk and not investment Justice risk. Breyer has just been applying a family resemblance
9: test to exclude General Motors' boxcar. Why, why isn't that sort of thing
8: just as... Feasible under investment
9: contract as it is under note,
8: it is. And if you if you look at the criteria the court looked to, I think you will see that several of the criteria that this court has talked about indicate that this would not be covered. I believe it it is uh, it is not specifically related. But the court noted four criteria, and if you apply those criteria, I think you find. That they in fact You've come to this quite late, but, I mean, it seems to me that there are
7: other words besides working with the nature of the fixed or variable return that will draw the kind of line that you think and I guess I would think you should draw between an ordinary business, uh, sale and lease back so they can carry on their business, and uh, some kind of general marketing to the public. And and, uh, I'm actually quite interested in that. You've written about it, though, and I'll get it out of the brief. Uh,
8: uh, We have, and and, and I have been trying to address the question uh, that was presented, although we we felt a different question was involved. Uh, This Court, for 60 years, has set a jurisprudential standard for investment contracts. And while the courts work on the habits of people, people work on the habits of courts. There are In the 60
2: years, we've never said that a fixed return can never be an investment contract.
8: That is correct. You've never explicitly said that. But by never explicitly saying that, that doesn't mean that it necessarily is covered. Uh, the decision of the Court of Appeals followed this Court's precedence. It was correct, and it should be affirmed.
0: Thank you, Mr. Walensky. Uh, General Olson, you have four minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. I will try to make
1: just three points. One, this is about securities. The statute, which is extraordinarily broad, says note, stock, treasury stock, fractional undivided interest in oil, gas, mineral rights, straddle, option. It's, there, it would be difficult to draft a statute. It was intended to be more all-inclusive than the words used in these two provisions of the 33 and 34 Act. It is manifestly clear that Congress wanted to cover the waterfront, as this Court has said, everything that looks like a security, and wanted to cover the whole range from pure equity, if there is such a thing, to pure debt, if there is such a thing. It would be and then they put catch-all provisions. If the, if the words didn't cover it, there were catch-all provisions. Investment contract is one. It would be irrational for Congress to say, well, we've got a catch-all for those from A to Z that go from A to H that look more look like equities, but not S to Z that look more like debt. And then we're don't, not sure about the ones in the middle. The purpose for the catch-all provision is to catch all. Th- that is what this investment contract was. Secondly. Just two of the cases that were attempted to be distinguished by my colleague. People versus white. Uh, He said that did not involve um, a fixed return. Well, the language of the case, this is in twelve Pacific Second at ten eighty one, the individual promised to pay a specified sum on a specified date as principal and earnings for the stated period of time upon the investment. That's pretty much identical to what we have involved in this case. And in the Securities Exchange Commission versus Universal Services, another one that my colleague referred to, page um, 234 of 106, Federal Reporter 2nd, at the end of five years, there would be returned to each member an amount equal to total contributions plus 30 percent per annum. Now, this case is 14 percent. The argument that's being made by the respondent here, is an argument that the blue sky uh, — a distinction that the blue sky laws don't make. Congress did not make this distinction. The Court has never made this distinction. It conflicts with 70 years of consistent SEC enforcement. It is squarely inconsistent with the notion of a broad, flexible, remedial purpose of the security statutes. It would make no sense. It would create a gigantic loophole where individuals by changing the terms of from pie in the sky to fourteen percent. And they would do that immediately. And Congress would have to deal with it in a way the Congress has already dealt with, and there is no reason to change what the um, what the law has been and the and the eleventh circuit decision should be reversed.
0: Thank you, General Olson. The case is submitted.
3: The honourable court is now adjourned until tomorrow at ten o'clock.